is episode number 68. Hello. Welcome to Creative Chit Chat. Still can't think of another introduction. I'm probably just going to stick with this one, I think. Anyway, so this week I am joined by Lynn Love, who you might also know by the name Lynn Parker. She is an animation and interactive art lecturer at Aberdeen University and she also completed her PhD on the subject of play um, which is really fascinating and we, we do go into that sort of aspect of play and what it means to her and the sort of wider context and how we can actually get play into our daily lives a lot more and one of the ways she does that um, is a project that came out of initiative driven by Counterplay in Leeds and it's called One Play Thing um, so it's hashtag One Play Thing and you basically create a little intervention um, in the world which is really nice and we talk about that um, you should definitely go and check out the hashtag so it's hashtag One Play Thing and you'll see uh, Lynn's done a bunch of them some other people have done a bunch of them as well and it's uh, Lynn one, Lynn's ones in particular are chalk drawings or chalk interventions in spaces and just sort of reimagining the way you look at the world um, so yeah we talk about that we talk about um, whether you can prepare students for industry and the world beyond university um, Lynn's got a really interesting take on that and a bunch of other stuff about being a how to be a good teacher and how to sort of and a good lecturer and then and sort of facilitating learning um and sort of going to the ins and outs of that and it's it's great but yeah um i don't actually have any housekeeping so i think we should just get into it um short and sweet this week so it's episode number 68 and this is with lynn love so I guess I don't really want to start with my gender as being an interesting thing, but um, I definitely knew when I was at high school that I was a little bit unusual for a girl, if that makes sense. Um, because I liked games and I liked um, sci-fi and all these kinds of things that um, back then, that makes me sound really old, but <laughs> back then before you know the internet was really that prevalent, um, it was hard to know that you weren't really alone in that. Um, and uh, I remember finding a prospectus for Aberdeen University in my school library. God, I'm not really entirely sure why it was there. And uh, I saw you can make computer games for a living. And I was like, wow, how cool would that be? Um, so I, I was maybe about 14 and I decided that I wanted to, I wanted to work for Square and I wanted to make Final Fantasy. So I wanted to do Um before that, I had wanted to uh, make animations and I went to work for Ardman <laughs> in Bristol. Um, so I had done a lot of sort of pretend stop motion stuff um, because my dad wouldn't lend me his uh, really expensive VHS camera to do actual <laughs> stop motion stuff. Um, so I decided I wanted to make games and I had come to Aberdeen. Um And it was really neat when I got here. So I, I got here in 2000 um, and there were people who liked the same stuff as I did and... Um, that were interested in the new things about about it. Um, and that was like really eye-opening and quite exciting for me. Um, and my gender didn't really make a difference, I guess. You know, there was there was the nice thing about the course I did computer arts is there was a nice sort of 50-50 
Um, and there still is actually on the course there tends to be a sort of 50-50 division between um, uh, male and, and female. I know that gender is not as simple as that. Um, but um, So is it, I mean, across the, the rest of the courses, Aberdeen in particular, is there quite a gender imbalance? Yes, yeah, I would say so. So uh, even when I was so 18 years ago, I guess, when, when I started, um, the programming course only had um, one or two girls on it out of a class of 40, and that is the same now. So in 18 years, there's not really been huge strides forward, unfortunately, in terms of getting women into the more technical side of games. I'd say that um, we've definitely managed to maintain and, and promote um, people who identify as, as female. Um, uh, we, we've been able to maintain them um, in terms of applying to the course and being able to support them um, in studying arts and design as well. Our design course does quite well. Um, but when it gets into the more sort of technical stuff, it's, it's harder to get um, people that identify as female um, uh, to to apply, um, or if they do apply, sometimes they get distracted by the other courses, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Um, so, and I, and I think actually, when you start as a programmer, it must be quite intimidating. I, you know, I never did that. I was actually as a, as a when I applied to Aberdeen, I was torn between programming and, and art, and I did art because I thought it'd be harder. <laughs> um, that's a strange seventeen-year-old mind that I had. Um, uh, and it was hard, <laughs> but I'm sure programming was harder. Um, but I think it must be quite intimidating if you join a programming course and, you know, there's 40 men in the room and there's you. Um, it's got to be quite lonely. Um, but, yeah, so it's, it's still it's, uh, promoting the technical courses to, to women is still something that we struggle with. Um, and we do have some students who are STEM ambassadors and some of our graduates have um, started up... Um, a Dundee chapter of Women in Games and the support networks are really kind of building up um, now. Um, so I'm hopeful that that's something that's going to improve. Uh, but I think actually we need to do some um, outreach, to more outreach to schools, because I think there's a, a key point, um, probably around that point that I was talking about when I realised I was weird at school, um, because I liked games and I liked um, sci-fi and things. I think there's this strange point where peer pressure kind of can put people off um, both ways, I, I, I guess, continuing games as a career. Um, and I think parental support is another really important thing because um, um, even now, you know, we've got uh, Abertay, we've got quite a, a good reputation um, for computer games education. We're uh, the top games university in Europe. Um, and uh, still parents don't, necessarily get it you know you want to do what for a living is that a viable thing how's that going to be do you know where you know so everybody who wants to study games has all, all sorts of challenges but it seems to be that women in particular is something that when it gets to the more technical um side of things is is problematic isn't it i suppose it comes down to the perception of as you say like the parents but also the teachers who are advising which universities to go to which courses to pick um and they're it's sort of down to their knowledge and understanding of the opportunities within any creative subject, whether that's games, design or anything. Like, I mean, it, it's never going to be as lucrative as being a, a lawyer or a, a dentist or, or any of those sort of professions, but there's no reason why it's any less viable or any less enjoyable or successful as a career. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, there's 
there's so many of our students have told us stories of um, unsupportive teachers. Oh, no, you don't want to go do that for a living. Or, oh, you're much too talented to go do something like that. And um, what's kind of quite nice is, you know, the exam results have just come out. Um, and a couple of our graduates um, have sort of tweeted um, about how they did games and, and how school had told them not to, but how it's worked out really well for them. Um, and it's quite nice that... Um, some people have that kind of belief in themselves. They, they see that this is a thing that I want to do and no matter what anybody says to me, they're not going to put me off. Um, and they've got that sort of dedication to the, to the dream, I guess. Um, and whether you go to work in games or you go be a nurse or a lawyer or any of these sorts of things, you know, the dream and the reality don't always kind of quite match up. But so long as there's that passion and you can find something that really excites you about it um, and then you hold on to it, I think that's, that's really kind of quite wonderful um and but to be able to do that at 15 16 when you're applying to university when your mum and dad are saying no don't go to games or uh, your teachers are saying oh no that's a, a rubbish thing to go to that must be really very hard I was so so lucky and that my parents were like yeah yeah I was the first in my family to go to university and um and they, they were quite supportive and that I wanted to go study games and arts they kind of knew that I was a bit strange. <laughs> I say was, am a bit strange. Um, yeah, I, f I feel very fortunate and, and I hope that um, with the internet um, and with the sort of ease of access of people who are into similar sort of things as you, if that makes sense. Um, when I was a kid, it was hard to know that other people liked what I like, whereas I think now with the internet, it's easier to... Um, find people that are like-minded, people that share your interests. Um, so I'm kind of quite hopeful that actually that might give people this bit of support, you know, if their parents or if their um, school teachers are saying, no, don't do this, um, they'll be able to find people that are, are like-minded to an extent that gives them the confidence to say, no, this is what I want to try this out, whether it be games or anything else, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, it's also like using that at 15, 16, you're making the decision and it's sort of geared up as... This will be the rest of your life. Yeah. And no 16 year old knows what the best decision is for the rest of their life. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's really just a, a four year thing or a three year thing or, or whatever it might be. And it's just like, who knows where that will lead on to as long as it's in an area where you can, as you say, like find your peers and a group and somewhere that you identify with and you enjoy people that you enjoy being with, then that's all that, that really matters and that you're going to get you're going to go in a direction that you find interesting and fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a big, a big thing. Yeah. I think I never really understood before I came to university, the university isn't just about the subject that you study. So I thought it was, it was about coming and studying um, arts and games and then going to Japan and, and working in, in computer games. I'm, I've not gone and done those things, um, but I've, I've made great connections and I've learned a lot about the world and I've found things that are, much more interesting to me and much more that I'm much more passionate about. Um, and actually university is, I think, is as much about making friends, trying out, making mistakes, messing up, <laughs> uh, trying again, um, and, and developing social skills, you know, and, and learning to live on your own and all these sorts of, of things that we kind of underestimate. Because um, so many of our students at Abertee tend to come into first year straight from school. You know, so they've never necessarily lived away from home before. You know, that's if they're coming into first year. Um, so there's there's so much 
that they've got to learn. Um, and it's not just about their subject. Um, and I think one of the greatest things that you can get from university is, is what you say is that, that network of people that you meet. So um, the friends that you make um, and the things that you all go on to do and the way that you challenge each other and um, open each other's eyes to new things and new experiences. I think that's one of the greatest things about university. Um, and, and to be able to do that in a safe and supported environment with people who are passionate about same, similar sort of things to, to you, I think that's, that's really important. Um, but also people that have very different perspectives because I'm really nervous about the idea of an echo chamber and you know everyone saying the same thing and I'm a bit sceptical about social media as well as sort of saying that I think it's great because we can meet like-minded people always surrounding ourselves with like-minded people is also dangerous um, you know it's, a, it's a, the two sides of this, the coin um, so I think university is a really great place to, to, to do all of these different things in a safe environment um, and if you don't go on and use your degree, but your degree helps you to go on and do something that you love, then I think that's a, a win. So was your degree like a really positive experience then throughout? Um, I, I think um, I, I I think a lot of what I've just said is based on kind of my experiences. Yeah, and I, and I think I had a quite a, I came to university, I just turned 17 and I had quite a simplistic view of the world. Um, and from being at university and meeting people from all around the world um, and working with my lecturers who had all sorts of different perspectives about the world and, and interests and, and things and, and just being able to soak that all up like a sponge, I think, um, was great. And I didn't actually, at the time, realise how useful it was. I, I graduated and I, and I went on to do some further study and I met other students who had done undergraduate degrees elsewhere and I realised actually how fortunate I was in the skills and um, confidence to give stuff a bash that I'd kind of developed through university. Um, that wasn't something that other people from other institutions necessarily had. And I don't know if that was just my experience or something unique about Aberté or um, or what, but I felt so fortunate with hindsight. So I had to go, I did that thing that I think you do with your parents as well as so you go back and you say sort of thank you I did that to my lecturers I was like thank you so much you know because actually I didn't realize how much I'd gotten out of this experience um until I went off and did some other things um because I think it's um it's quite easy in at university and um in work as well to think the grass is greener on the other side and to, to look at other people and what they're doing and thinking oh my life would be much better if I did this or I did that um but I think it's important to kind of stop now and then and, and kind of just try to appreciate what what you've got and what you've learned and the people that have helped you get there. Um, so, yeah, I think that some of my lecturers were were probably quite happy when I came back and I said, thank you, you know those things you said, you were so right, thank you very much, because it's not something I know as a lecturer, it's not something that people say to you very often. <laughs> um, um, so hopefully hopefully they, they appreciated it. Um, uh, yeah. So after graduation, um, what were your what were your options at that point? What were you looking to do? So I, I think I, I completed my undergrad, and I hadn't. I've always been kind of quite torn between animation and games. And you can be an animator in games, um, but I think I was quite torn between um, the kind of narrative side of what you can do in animation and storytelling versus you know interactive side of games so when I actually graduated I was um I didn't 
feel like I was in a position to um, to go into employment. Um, and that was because of my own internal struggle between, you know, I did a bit of animation, I did a bit of games, I didn't have um, a portfolio that I, I think um, sang in one or the other of those kind of specialisations. Um, and I think also there was that, I was lacking in that confidence. I think I probably could have applied for jobs and I probably could have gotten a job, but I, I didn't believe enough um, that I could. So I, I went in, as I said, I did a sort of postgraduate course in animation. Um, and on the day of my degree show, at my postgraduate degree show opening, I had a, an interview at Dundee and Angus College um, to to teach uh, animation at um, sort of further education level, so HNC and HND. Um, and I thought that teaching would be um, would be a really interesting thing to do because I really um, I really like working with people. I really kind of like team environments, um, but I also um, really liked kind of sharing my passion and my interest for for animation and games with, with other people. So I, I kind of naively kind of thought, well, I'll go I'll go and do that. I'll, I'll, I'll teach um, and I'll be able to continue to build on my portfolio and build on my skills and, and then maybe at some point I'll, um, I'll move away from teaching and I'll, I'll, I'll apply to that big games company or to, to that animation studio. I did apply to Ardman um, as a student and I got a rejection letter. It's like one of the best letters I ever got in my life because it was from Ardman and they knew I existed for like a second. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I sort of fell in, into teaching um, which I, I think um, maybe a lot of people do. Um, uh, and I remember one of my friends said to me, oh, those who can't teach, you know, so if they can't do something, they go and they teach. And there was, there was a lot of sort of stigma attached to teaching, like um, that it meant that you couldn't do something, uh, that you couldn't do the thing that you trained in. Um, and I think that I took that quite to heart. So I decided I was going to be a really good lecturer <laughs> so I was, you know I was going to be really really good at it um, so I spent um, five years at Dundee and Angus College teaching their 3D animation course um, and I threw myself in to, to that which meant that my making and developing my portfolio and all that stuff that I said that I was going to do it didn't happen um, and being a lecturer I find is a it's probably like a lot of jobs in that um, there is so much that you can do that it can just expand to fill every moment of every day that you let it um, I imagine being freelance is quite similar. Um, so you've got to be quite strict with yourself. I didn't know that. Um, so I spent five years being a lecturer. That's what I did. Um, and I, I loved it. It was great. Um, I realised that... Um, I, th I think I got hooked because people come in and they're, you know, on day one, they're like wide-eyed and like, what's this? What's going on? Um, but they're interested you know in in something and then you spend two three years with them and you help them to develop their interests and develop their skills and their understanding and get really passionate you see the light go on inside and then in their eyes and and then they go off and they go and, and do something with that whether that's you know from college a lot of them went on to university um and then off into the world of work and there's just really i really enjoyed being part of that process helping people to i i guess take that next step in being what they want it to be um it sounds really cheesy doesn't it but that's like I just I love it I love it when people just like it clicks for them and they go oh, actually yeah yeah and and I think that um 
you know, I said that my portfolio wasn't ever there and, um, you know, I didn't have the confidence to apply for the big games job. I think it's because it didn't click for me what I wanted to be until I had maybe been teaching for a while and I started to realise actually, yeah, I want to make stuff, but also I want to help other people make stuff too. Um, so so I, it clicked really late for me. <laughs> what do you think are, um, what is it that makes a great lecturer or teacher as opposed to a good one? I think um, knowing when to step back is kind of the key. So um, I, part of my throwing myself fully into being a lecturer was I will help them to do everything. Um, and actually helping people to do everything is, is, is not helpful to them because it doesn't help to develop their independence um, and their problem solving. You know, if they can always go, Lynn, how do I do this? Or Lynn, how do I do that? And, you know, one day they're going to graduate and Lynn's not going to be there anymore. You know, so it took me way too long to realise that actually learning when to step back um, and letting them try, you know, helping them have the confidence to go, all right, how do I do this? And how do I solve these problems by myself? So that, you know they learn how to learn, I guess. It sounds, again, it's one of these sort of cliches, isn't it? Universities learning how to learn. But it totally is. It's like um, we're trying to set people up for a, a life of learning. And um, I mean, it's given them the skills in order to... When I say them, I mean, given the, the students the skills to, to go and try things and fail and pick themselves up and, and just go again and, and then pick up new skills and adapt. And So, yeah... It, and that, that, that's a wider sense there's a lot more to it than just learning it's like it's having the skills to to sort of develop your own to develop your own skills and to to, to grow yeah knowing what questions to ask um you know that that's that's a hard thing how do you know what you don't know mm. so it, it's knowing how to try and problem solve knowing how to try um and find the answers to an unknown problem um having the confidence to to do that having the resilience to persevere um you know actually a lot of being a teacher is it's more on the soft skills side of things like supporting the human the, the person in their kind of development than it is about teaching them software um and i think that's something that's a little bit actually problematic because um when students come to university um quite often they're focused on software and they're focused on technology um so you know I used to be in charge of the computer arts course, um, which was an amazing thing because, you know, I studied it and then I got to be in charge of it and to curriculum development. And I just, I totally loved that. Um, but I would meet students and guaranteed every time I met prospective students, they would say, what software do you use? Um, or what kind of computer do I need? And I would try to say to them, these things aren't important. You know, anybody can learn software, but um, knowing something interesting to do with it, do you know, having an idea, having creativity, um, that that stuff we can't you can't teach someone to be creative. Well, that's that's interesting. I, well, I mean, I think you have to you have to start with the curiosity. So maybe that's a better way. You can't teach someone to be curious. Okay. Um, that, helping them shape that curiosity into creativity. You know, we can do that. But if you're not curious, if you're not interested, there's, there's very little that we can do. Um, I, I think. Um, and so the, the, the curiosity. You describe is that sort of part of that you know when you saw that that light bulb moment when the, the student actually like switches on and you can actually it, it 
at some point gets it. Yeah. That sort of the, that sort of self motivated curiosity. Yeah, it's, it's asking questions, isn't it? And, it? and it's it's thinking of questions that other people haven't necessarily thought of, or phrasing them in different ways, or, or changing perspectives on, on things. That I mean, that's where creativity starts to come in, isn't it? You know, as you, you start to look at things from a different angle and 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 think, oh, well, what can we do with this? Um, so yeah, I think that. There needs to be that curiosity, and yes, you can be curious about software. And actually, we've had some amazing students who are very software focused that become very technical and have gone on and done so very well, you know. And they're very happy in in what they do. Um, but I guess it depends on what kind of career that you want to have. Um, and what what I always think we're trying to do at Aberte is that. Yeah, we're trying to help you to develop to become technically kick-ass, right? So you'll have a really good portfolio and you'll be very strong with software and you'll, you, these kinds of things. But also, we're trying to help you to get an entry-level job when you graduate, but not just stay there for the next 10 years, to have the curiosity, to have the questions, to have the kind of interest, to... Um, to have people start to, to recognise you and start to acknowledge you've got potential and, and to help you climb up and make leaps and become like the, the leaders of the future, um, not just um, people who reiterate what's already out there, if that makes sense, do you know? Um, and, and I think that focusing on software can have the danger that you, you get to a certain point in your career and you can't necessarily make that leap to the next stage. It's not always the way. I'm sounding like a total software anti-person. I'm not. The software is important. Um, but I think curiosity is important too. Um, and I think being interested in things about your subject but also things adjacent to your subjects and things that have nothing to do with your subject as well is really important in you being able to develop um, as an individual, to develop your... Um, thinking processes and help you to come up with better ideas help you to um, develop your career trajectory if you you know um, and help you not only to impress an interview so people know that you know your stuff but also help you to to be motivating yourself to keep that curiosity going to keep that hunger to keep you in a, in a world of work that you love um, because we can stagnate um, and I think the I've always said the minute that I stop learning something at my job, that's the time that I should change job. Um, so I think that's where all this stuff that I'm saying here about curiosity is coming from. It's like, um, if you stop asking questions, then there is a danger that, that you stagnate and that it's not good for you and your health um, and it's not necessarily good for the place that you're, that you're working at either. So do you think... Do you think that you... That you can actually genuinely prepare students for what it's going to be like in the working world. No. I I try my very best, and we all do. We all try our very best. Um, but university is a simulated environment. It's a safe environment. Um, and we're not just about the world of work. So I, I tend to be, amongst my colleagues, um, someone who does think very much about um, employability um, but university isn't just about employability not all students want to go into the world of work you know, some want to go into further study, some want to go off and do other things completely um, so it can't all be about 
the world of work, it, it, it needs to also be about developing understanding, developing um, a grasp of your subject, developing interest, the soft skill stuff I was talking about as well. Um, and there are not enough hours in the day, um, you know, because university is a simulation um, and because of um, the the time that you study and the four month summer break and, and these kinds of things, it's never going to be able to simulate the world of work perfectly. Um, and because there's grades attached to everything, um, that also there's a different um, relationship between a lecturer and a student than there would be between colleagues in a, a work environment or um, a boss in a uh, their employee. Um, and there's something about being in a live environment and all of the problems that are presented to you day to day. Um, and the speed that things move at in the real world that university can't prepare you for, I think. Um, unless we were to do, as I was saying, um, to do st nine-to-five studio simulated um, setting, which we do actually do at master's level. We've got a professional master's where the students have to be in at nine and they finish at five and there's a producer and they're in teams. And, you know, so it's, but it's at postgraduate level and it is about very much about employability. Um, but univer university tries to do an awful lot of things in a very short time frame. Because, um, as you said, it is only four years. And I think when you're 17, 18, four years sounds like a really long time. Um, but it's not. It's not. Especially when you think four months of that summer holidays. <laughs> Could you imagine having four months summer holidays? <laughs> you know, they dream. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I don't... For those reasons and many more, I don't think that we can fully prepare people for the world of work. Um, but I think we try our best. And that resilience that I was talking about is one of one of the things th that's really important. So being able to take criticism, um, to work out what to do with that criticism and, and how to, de to develop. Um, but also the professional skills. So we spend a lot of time helping students to develop their... Um, Verbal presentation skills, being able to stand up and talk professionally, um, but also how uh, being able to communicate well in a, a written sense. And, and um, you know, these kind of things are really important from getting the job to keeping the job, you know, and then developing in, inside the, the working world. And then the more creative uh, things that you would sort of associate with games development. So um, I'll not list them, but, but you know, um, the, the things I think you've you more traditionally think about like being able to 3D model or um, being able to work in a game engine and um, being able to design um, spaces, 3D spaces for people to exist within and think about um, user experience. I just said I wouldn't list them and now I'm listing them. Yeah, It's amazing what a microphone does in front of you. <laughs> just hikes the nerves up. Um, yeah. So uh, you went from from undergrad to, to teaching mm -hmm. and then you moved into a PhD. Yeah. Why did you decide to, to take that on? Um, so I, I think off the back of my postgraduate, I was kind of quite keen on the idea of doing a PhD. Um, what was it about it that appealed? So there are lots of really superficial reasons that I wanted to do a PhD. Um, so I've been in education since I was five. I've never left education because now I work in it. Um, so that's that kind of appeal, I guess, that I've known 
the world of education. There's a familiar familiarity and a security there. Yeah, but then there's also that you know that I love learning. Um, my maiden name is Love, and the idea of being Doctor Love is like it's pretty cool. I now have a bit of paper that says Doctor Love on it. It's so cool. Well, it doesn't. It says Doctor of Philosophy and Love, which is um, very exciting. So that's my official title now. You know, so these are all very superficial reasons for doing a PhD. Um, I would not recommend such superficial reasons for doing a PhD because <laughs> they're pretty hard work um, and uh, they, they're tough and you do need to be quite dedicated, I think, to to see it through. Um, and actually, I, it, it took me a very long time to get here. So I finished my postgrad in 2005 and I had this idea that I wanted to do a PhD and I graduated um, about a month ago in my PhD <laughs> so what's that a 13 year process to actually but, get there I mean do like um, three three year PhDs actually exist because everyone I ever come across seems to like take it like it just it doesn't it isn't done in three years it's just not the way it happens yeah I didn't spend 13 years on it <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well yeah there are there are people that work full time on it that do complete in three years so it, it does happen but um, quite often when people are doing PhDs they get caught up in other projects that are going on in research projects so then they have um they get extensions in their phd because they're off doing other work which is equally interesting in helping to develop their skills as an academic as a researcher um and a practitioner um so quite often they stretch um and i did my phd whilst i was working at Aberty as a lecturer full-time so i moved to Aberty from dundee and angus college in 2010 um and um, I was very lucky, actually, I think, to get the post um, because I didn't I didn't have a research background because when I was working in further education, research and, and side projects weren't really the focus then. Um, it was all uh, student-focused. Um, so I, I, when I moved to Aberté, this idea that I could research again um, popped up and that was quite exciting. And I took about three years trying to work out what it was I was interested in. Um, and I was really lucky in that one summer, um, the Nine Trades um, of Dundee, um, they sponsor an internship every summer at Aberty. So um, they give a student, they pay, they pay a student to take part in a project um, to help them to develop um, as an individual. And I was very fortunate in that I was able to to use the Nine Trades internship to help me with my research one summer. Um, so I collaborated with um, a then third year student of ours, Zoe Sams, and we spent the summer trying to just um, explore making games. And um, this is where the beginning of the, my PhD came from. So, you know, if it wasn't from Zoe in that summer and the Nine Trades, then I don't think I would have completed. It was five years for me to complete. I don't think I would have completed. Um, but I, yeah, I was, I was teaching full-time um, and doing my PhD along the side. So five years is quite respectable, I think, as a sort of part-time PhD um, completion. Um, where did you, so the, the subject matter of your PhD, where did that come from? Yeah, so I I started, <laughs> this is the, the same old story, I started with um, animation and being interested in animation and abstraction. So the, the first stuff that I did that summer with Zoe in 2013 was all about that. And I wrote a paper all about abstraction and animation in games. Um, and then slowly it became more about games and then slowly it became more about play um, over a sort of a five-year process. Um, and it was really, it's kind of thanks to my supervisors um, because when you're in the middle of the research process, um, and I think it'll be like this 
whether it's a PhD or, or whether it's the creative process or, or any kind of project that you do when you're in the middle of research, it's quite hard to see the wood from the trees and to kind of know what's important and what's not. Um, so I found myself um, looking at lots of different things all at once um, and I had the steady hand of my supervisor, Gregor, um, who was quite good at saying, you know you're actually talking about this and do you know that you're actually in interested in that? And, and he just um, helped me to, to filter um, because there are so many things, it's essentially obvious, there are so many things in the world um, and it's, it's hard to pick one to spend time on. Um, and somebody once told me that it's, you know that you're making progress with your research when you realise how little you know. And there is this point in your PhD where everything becomes quite overwhelming because you realise that play is a big thing and, oh, so many people have written about play and I don't know anything. Um, and it, it can induce a panic attack, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the scale of it. And it's silly, isn't it, because it's play. It's not rocket science or curing cancer or anything but I think I think it's just research isn't it it's, you realize how little you know and how mammoth a task you've taken on um so I was I'm very thankful to that person I can't recall who it was who said to me as soon as you know you realize that you don't know anything that means you're making pro progress um, um so what what does play mean to you then um so I've got a really loose uh, definition of play um, and I, I think that sort of shows up in, in a lot of the work that I do um, like the, the one play things that I do um, I think um, play is any activity that you do, any thought that you have anything at all um, which It gives you a bit of release or relief or not necessarily distraction, but um, it, it makes you feel a little bit better, you know. Um, so the one play things that I mentioned, um, I uh, I take chalk everywhere with me, or I did um, up until I'm on a bit of a break just now, but um, I take chalk everywhere with me and uh, when I see something um in the landscape um like a shadow or uh, a bike light or you know those little solar bike lights on the path or um uh, a wall that's got an interesting wet patch on it um then i try and look at it um and think what could that be um and i use chalk to make it into something else so um i might modify it so it looks like a person or a whale or um some of my one play things is I actually just write questions in the middle of the street, um, and it and it's it's trying to recapture something that I think we all did when we were kids. Because I think when I was a kid, um, time seemed to last forever, like a minute would last forever. Um, and I remember just sort of staring at the wallpaper and making patterns in wallpaper, or lying in. I think everyone's um, laid down in the garden and, and made pictures out of clouds and things. And I think as you, you grow up, you lose this sort of playful perspective. You lose, you've not got time for that. I'm rushing about and we've got places to be and things to do. Um, so the idea of one play thing was to um, to start looking at the world again, like I did when I, when I was a kid. So for me to play, but also to start to get other people to notice things, to 
to lift their heads up from their phones or to to take a minute um, or to to ask themselves a question that they might not usually ask themselves and just to have a, a little break from reality, I guess. Um, so that's the idea of one play thing and that's kind of my whole perspective on play is that it's, it's kind of anything that, that just um, takes you out of where you're at at that point and um, allows you to, to look at things differently, I guess. I love those little, like, little interventions in real life and like, I like I, I love street art um, and there's some great ones like in Dundee um, on the way down Roseangle to Magdalene mm-hmm. there's a you know, like a bollard pole that someone's painted to look like a cigarette um, and I, it's just I mean it's so simple it's a two colour basically big stripe around the pole but um, it makes you completely reconsider it makes you think about what made them do that and it just like completely takes your mind somewhere else um, or like the, the lightsabers on the uh, road markings so just those sort of things are brilliant interventions that take you completely away from what you were doing what you were thinking about Um yeah, it gives you like a little smile and, and whatever else, and like they're they're amazing. Um, the the more of them we could have, the better. Yeah, yeah, I think it's exactly that. It's um, we spend a lot of time in our heads now, or or distracting ourselves with our with our phones or with our computers or at work, and we're also always so busy. Um, you know, so I think anything that that just takes us out of that and 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 lets us have that little moment, I think that's that's great and um i should say one play thing actually came from um i'm part of a play community which is really kind of quite exciting so um we there's a festival um in our house called counterplay um ran by matthias Poulsen, um and he did a mini version here in leeds um so uh i spent a weekend in october last year me and my other half spent a weekend in in, in leeds playing games um, with all of adults, all adults pretty much. There were some kids there, but mostly adults. Um, and Matthias was there as well, but a whole bunch of people who are really passionate about play and bringing play into the environment and, and into everybody's lives every day. Um, and this weekend sort of just changed my perspective completely in terms of, well, I'm interested in play and I'm not alone. And look, there are these other adults who are also interested in play and I, I sort of like, here's where I belong, this is my place. I kind of understand it. Um, because actually a focus on play in computer games, um, they don't necessarily actually go hand in hand, oddly enough. Um, for some people they do and for other people it, it, it doesn't. It's a whole other conversation, I imagine. Um, but this weekend... Um, we, we did things like we took a, a big giant rope out into the street and started a tug of war on like Saturday night in the Leeds city centre. Um, and uh, we did we did skipping and um, and we, we used some chalk and we did instructions kind of on the, on the path, um, which were meant to be the Leeds play laws, you know, like you get bylaws, play laws. Um, and it kind of came off the back of this. We wanted to do some things to kind of extend the activity that this community had developed over the weekend. So that's where one play thing came from. And it was meant to be um, a whole bunch of us chipping in, but it seems to have kind of slowly become my thing, I think. Or it was, it became my thing up until sort of about four months ago. Um, but I'm hoping I'll be able to bring it back soon. Because I mean, you said there as if the way that you introed that thing about lots of adults in a room playing, mm-hmm. it's kind of like it was a taboo. Like it's not really something that should happen. It's only acceptable when there's kids there. So it's, it's, it's okay if there's, there's kids playing, but if it's all adults, then it's a bit weird. Well, yeah, this so this is part of what my PhD became about. 
I, I guess there's 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 a lot written about play um, for adults and, and and for kids. Um, and there were kids at this uh, the the weekend that we had in Leeds. Um, but Counterplay is a festival; it doesn't have children. It is it's adult focused. Um, and there's a lot of events actually that are aimed more at adults um, because. Um, and this is uh, this isn't actually my thought. This is um, Holly Gramazio who runs Now Play This. We had a conversation for my PhD about about play, um, and she said um, Now Play This is a a games and playful media uh, festival that happens in London in Somerset House every year. Um, but Holly's also got a background in kind of designing street games um, and per- pervasive games. She's she's amazing. You should look her up. Um, but but she pointed out that she finds that if there's a, a lot of kids around, then the adults step back and they stop playing um, f- for all sorts of different reasons. Um, so it, it, it might be that, um, you know, so if it's a computer game, it might be, oh, I should let them have a turn. Like, I'll step back and, you know, because I'm an adult and I don't need to play this, you know. Or it might be actually there's that taboo, as you say, there's that sort of nervousness about, am I allowed to play in this environment? You know, is there a comfort? Um, so... Actually, off the back of kind of that conversation and this idea, a lot of my PhD then became about how to invite people to play. So my whole PhD is how to get people to participate in playing. Um, so not actually designing the play in itself, more that entry, that step in, um, because it can be difficult for, for adults. And I think that, um, you know, play, especially physical play, is, is something that adults don't do an awful lot of anymore. Um, outside sort of traditional things like football and basketball and, and those kinds, of, but like you know, um, pretending to be Jedi because <laughs> you mentioned lightsabers is not something that you do as much as an adult. Um, so uh, a lot of my PhD became about how do you invite people in, how do you make it okay for them to play, and then how do you help them to use play to benefit themselves. Because um, I think an- another thing that I've kind of noticed um, is that play is quite often used as a way to try and make things fun. Like, so we're going to have a corporate away day um, and we're going to get everyone out of the office and we're going to sit them down in tables and we're going to play games. And then everyone's like, oh, role play. Oh, you know, or, you know, they use, they use play as a, as a, it's meant to be a, a reward, but actually it's... Um, it's a manipulation of play because it's trying to use play for a purpose, um, for a set purpose. Um, so in those sort of corporate training events, for example, um, your boss has a goal that they want to achieve and they use play to try and achieve that goal. And actually that is not what play is. Play is not a purposeful thing. Play is, shouldn't be um, for an output. It should be fun in and of itself and that should be enough. Do you know, you should have this experience and... Um, th- that should be fine but obviously in, in these kinds of corporate environments or even in an education environment um, it's hard to use play when it's unpredictable like that when you don't know what the outcomes are going to be um, so my PhD also kind of became about how people can use play for themselves so how instead of it being mapped on by the person that said let's play what you're going to do how the people from the play activity um, the people can start to um, see for themselves changes that they might want to make. Um, so, 
sorry, this is going on a little bit, but um, the really great thing about play um, is that we step into a space and we agree that rules mean something, okay? So if you're playing um, chess, uh, then you agree that pawns can only move so far, kings can move thus far, and that these motions mean something. And we both agree to play by those rules, you know? And actually, if you think about that, that's quite a powerful thing. Um, we could do that about anything, you know? So we could walk down into the... into the city square and we could start to make decisions about the fountains there we could say that actually um when the water is running through the fountains that's not just a pretty thing it also means that um my mind has gone black <laughs> um it, it also um means that there's a spectacular thing happening somewhere in the world. And um, also, we would agree that we wouldn't step on any of the cracks because that means that it stops the spectacular thing happening, do you know? Um, and we could make up all sorts of silly rules. You'd say silly rules like that. Um, but we reinvent that space, and if we play by those rules, then that becomes real to us. Um, and if you think about... Um, a, a, a lot of the... Um, problems that, that we might be presented with in our everyday lives, we can step away from those and play. We can we can have fun. And when we can, like you were talking about, um, when you see the cigarettes or when you see the, the lightsabers, the way that people have got interventions in, in the environment, um, we can start to think about, well, why would they do that? Or what kind of mindset allows you to do that? And then we can start to sort of try on different perspectives of the world. We can look at the world in different ways. And we can start to think, well, actually, maybe the way that I'm thinking about the world isn't, you know, isn't necessarily how I want to think about the world. Do you know? Um, that was a bit of a, t a tangent. But, but play can lead to, it's got this in inherent um, transformation potential inside it. It can lead to transformation. It can allow us to try on different perspectives. It, allow, it can allow us to change our own worldview. It can allow us to change... Um, our community worldview, if we're playing together, we can make decisions and, 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 and change the world, uh, change the world, we can change things about our, our community through play because it can help us to see what we have in common and what we don't have in common. Um, this is a really uh, shortened and bad explanation of my PhD <laughs> in verbal form. But um, the, the shortest version is it's, it's about getting people to participate and getting people to see how in play things could maybe be different for them. And then if they want them to be different, how to make those steps to make it different. So just to wrap up, um, how can we all get more play into our daily lives? You just need to make time for it. Look up. That's all. I, I really, like, it's everywhere. Play is everywhere. You know, so you you just need to let it jump out to you, I guess. So look around, um, you know, spend five minutes looking at the clouds or um, see those cracks in the pavement and think, what does that make? Or, you know, is there, the, all through town, there are natural hopscotch paving, do you know? There are so, so many ways that you, you can play if you just open your eyes to it. So I think it's just um, letting it in, I guess. It's really preachy, isn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 that's what I try to do, and and it works for me.
So hopefully it'll work for you too. And if anyone wants to find you online, uh, where do they do that? Um, so um, I'm part Aberte. I'm part of our Aberte Game Lab, which is our sort of research centre. So um, you'll be able to find information about that on the Aberte website. Um, if you want to see the kind of less formal version of me, the more rambly version, um, then uh, Twitter is mostly where I live, and I'm uh, at Todrick. Don't ask. <laughs> uh, kind of like Baldrick from Black Adder, but with a toad instead of. Um, yeah, that's probably the best places to find me. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. So, big thank you to Lynn for coming on. And, yeah, go and check out One Play Thing um, on Twitter. Just have a search for that hashtag, One Play Thing. And you'll find loads of little interesting, um, I suppose you call them interventions. That's what I've been calling them. So, yeah, we'll go with that. But yeah, um, if you're new to the podcast or you don't already, um, it's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram um, to keep up to date with all the new episodes, everything that's coming out. Um, and over the next few weeks, we've got some very interesting guests coming up. Um, and if Instagram or Twitter is not really your thing, you can do Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. And then... Beyond that, if you're a podcast kind of person, so if you're subscribed, then we're on all good podcast platforms. So subscribe to the podcast there. And that's it for this week. I will catch you next week. Bye.